Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we have a very encouraging and really an insightful episode for you this week as I sat down with Kyle Eidelman. Kyle is teaching pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, which was named the ninth largest church in America by Outreach Magazine. Kyle is also a best-selling and award-winning author, and many of you are probably familiar with his books, such as Not a Fan and Gods at War. On this week's episode, we spend time discussing the beautiful and amazing topic of God's grace, which is what Kyle's most recent book, entitled Grace is Greater, really focuses on. Now, Kyle helps us understand why pastors and ministry leaders often struggle with experiencing God's grace, and then we talk about the power of vulnerability and how it relates to this idea of grace. I'm sure that you'll be encouraged by our discussion, so let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into my conversation with Kyle Eidelman. I just want to welcome you, Kyle, to our Church Leaders Podcast. It's, it's a joy to have you with us, and we thank you for taking the time to uh, share with our audience. Yeah, I benefit from what you do, so it's good to be on uh, on this end of it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, now you've... um recently released a new book, Grace is Greater. And uh, in that book, you say that grace is best and most fully understood by experiencing it rather than trying to explain it. Can you kind of unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. So as a pastor teacher, um, there's nothing more frustrating, I guess, than uh, being in the position where you have to explain something that can't be fully explained in order to be understood. Um, but we try. So we get up and and we teach through some of these concepts like grace and, and the information is right and it's biblically based and it's powerful and it can impact people's lives in significant ways. Uh, but what I've seen as um, just kind of a consistent challenge over the years is that people can understand grace but still underestimate the greatness of grace in their own lives. And so just because someone can define it or they can just uh, perhaps quote some verses or give a nice biblical outline uh, that explains grace doesn't mean they're not struggling to embrace it personally. And uh, I've seen this consistently enough. Certainly, I've worked through some of those things in my own life that um, I, I wanted to write a book that would uh, help people experience grace. And uh, there's some great teaching out there, of course, on the doctrine of grace and the theology of grace. And uh, I, I really wanted to talk about it in an experiential way, which can be a little bit dangerous. Um, and so I, I try hard to kind of lay the, the foundation for it uh, biblically, but then to invite people, um, invite their own stories into it. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And, and I really appreciate the book because you do a lot of storytelling in it, and that lends itself to helping people understand the experiential side of grace, right? Because as you share these different stories— um, you can see grace coming alive in those stories. So, so I really appreciate the book because it's, it's one that's uh, very practical. And because of the storytelling, it helps grace kind of come alive as opposed to, like you said, kind of going through you know, a doctrinal statement on grace and those types of things. In fact, I've, I've got to say, I literally laughed out loud as I was reading this book and uh, – Specifically in the section when you're talking about um, your son and his um, trick-or-treating 
in in how he's on top of his candy count all the time, right? And yes. how he busted you. Does that happen in your house? <laughs> yes. You get, get a little protective of candy. That's not just me. Yes, yes. No, I totally uh, understand. But I loved whenever you um you said like instead of apologizing and telling him that you were sorry that you had uh, snagged some of his candy, that you took the opportunity to point out some details that he may have overlooked. For example, that you made his existence possible. And uh, right. I, as soon as I read that, I thought, man, how many times have I had that conversation with my kids? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and so, but again, that, that flows right into this conversation of grace, you know, what it means to extend grace. And oftentimes we get uh, maybe a little defensive or That's we right. try to redirect um, in those situations instead of really kind of resting in that grace that God extends into our lives. So can you talk a little bit about how wrestling with um, guilt and those types of things plays into um, our understanding of grace. Yeah, you know, I I use that illustration of uh, how I responded defensively or um, tried to justify my stealing of my son's candy uh, as an example of how even in little things, that is our default when it comes to failures and regrets. Um, we want to um, do our best to uh, under uh, undermine our responsibility in it and, and kind of run from it, hide from it. I think that for pastors and teachers, you know, that's especially true for us. We we are constantly getting up in front of people and, and holding up a standard. Um, and so when we ourselves are not meeting that standard, a natural response is going to be denial where we minimize uh, whatever the struggle is or whatever the failure might be. Uh, and, and yet it that's also what keeps us from experiencing a different depth of grace. I think about Jesus in Luke 7 when he uh, explains to Fer the Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee, the religious leader, um, how this woman is washing his, the feet of Jesus with her hair and her tears. You know, Jesus explains the one who's forgiven much loves much. And she was able to receive God's grace in a deep, significant way because she understood uh, the depth of her own sin and her own failures. And so for a long time, I think what kept me from experiencing the joy uh, of God's grace and kindness in my life is a refusal to um, to be honest with myself about struggles, about failures, um, about ways that I have fallen short. And when God started to break me free from some of that, I just found a great freedom in it, that what I was afraid of was actually uh, the the path to to finding um, a joy in the grace of God that I'd been missing. That's awesome. And, and as you're talking, I know that you have the opportunity to meet with and speak with uh, many pastors, church leaders all across the country. And um, you, you touched on you know some of this in regard to how sometimes as ministers we are you know standing up before the people and we're kind of trying to set this, the standard, and we know that sometimes we fall short, and so we wrestle with with how to deal with that sometimes, and we begin to justify or or make some excuses. But as you've had conversations with with church leaders around the country, what do you sense are the greatest struggles for them specifically when it comes to this idea of grace? You know, in order to truly experience grace, we have to be in a place uh, that is safe. Uh, to be vulnerable. And a challenge for a lot of Christian leaders is we don't feel like we can be vulnerable with each other or uh, in front of a church that we're leading. And uh, because we refuse vulnerability, 
then it's much more difficult for us to experience grace in our lives. And so I learned this the hard way. I, I tell a story in the book about um, a, a Thursday night before I was going to be preaching on the weekend. I was going to be talking about this theme of how we deal with regrets. And as I was lying in bed, my wife had already fallen asleep. As I was lying in bed, I heard this uh, crash from our bathroom. I go in there and the the mirror, it was a full-length mirror on the door, had fallen off the door and hit the the tile floor and it had broken into pieces. And and behind that mirror was something um, that I had done my best to uh, forget about. It's something I'm, I'm not proud of, but I lost my temper. I punched a hole in this door. And then I went to Lowe's and bought a full-length mirror to cover it up. So like I wasn't just metaphorically covering it up. Right. I was like literally covering it up. And my hope was that, you know, my wife would forget about it. My kids wouldn't find out about it. Uh, that the, the people who would listen to me preach or, or, or uh, be a part of the church here would never know. Um, and so I kind of I covered it up. And then as I was, you know, on the floor cleaning up that glass, I just realized how wrong I had been to approach something like that in a, in a cover up way. My wife came in and she helped me clean up the broken pieces. And I, you know, repented of my sin to her and to God and uh, felt a lot of freedom uh, that I didn't even realize um, was missing and until I finally uh, opened up and received it. And then afterwards, the next morning, I said to my wife, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to share this story in church. You know, I, God, it seems to me that God flicked that mirror off the door. I don't want to ignore that. So right. I, I feel like I, and so I was asking for her permission. I knew it would be embarrassing to her. And uh, I was kind of hoping she'd say no. That <laughs> way I could just tell God, hey, you know, I tried. I tried, right. And, um, but she said, no, you, you should do that if you think that's what God wants you to do. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to do that. I'm afraid what, what people think. And I, I don't really want to do it, but felt like I needed to. And, and, uh, you know, her response to me was to say, Hey, we're not the only ones with the hole in the door. And, and so I got up that weekend and I, I told the story in my sermon. And, um, and after I was done preaching, I mean, God taught me a ton of, about what happened in the next few minutes. A, a church leader came uh, up to me, had always kind of been a handshake guy. He gives me a hug and and he says, um, "Hey, I, I've got a hole behind a picture in my bedroom. Nobody knows about that." And he's emotional about it. He's been dealing with, you know, feelings of guilt and shame over that. Uh, I look up from the conversation. There's another five or six guys standing in line, um, and, and they all had this a similar story. You know, when my wife said, "You know, we're not the only ones with the hole in the the wall or hole in the door," I, I did think she meant it metaphorically, but it was you know literally the, uh, the there were a lot of people who had that story, and I learned something really significant that other people who are not in Christian leadership perhaps learn more easily, um, and that is that when when I am vulnerable. I can receive grace and other people can find grace in ways that um, it just doesn't happen otherwise. And, and so for me, that that took a, a level of courage that was um, something I felt forced into. Like I, I didn't want to do it. But since I've seen the fruit of it, um, I'm trying to, to do that more, more purposefully and more intentionally of of modeling a, a vulnerability, not just because I know it becomes contagious and grace spreads that way, but because I know that's what I need as, as a leader. And uh, whenever you do that, whenever you, you step out and be vulnerable about some failure or fear in your life, it is an opportunity to point to the greatness of God. But there will be some people 
who who uh, look down on you for it, and um, you know you take some hits and. And so what I've just found uh, to be a beautiful thing is that it's it's worth it, you know, um, to be a trophy of grace, uh, uh, to be able to celebrate in that that in my life and for it to to spread to other people. I'll take I'll take some hits for that from others. And I just didn't know that. I didn't know it until I was in, in that position. And it was a beautiful discovery for me as a pastor. Wow. So so I was going through that. Um, that really led to a sense of freedom, it seems, in in who you are a, as a pastor. Yeah, you know, for me, I had long, you know, believed in the value of authenticity as a pastor and teacher. You know, but but vulnerability is different than authenticity. Authenticity is that you're not pretending to be something that you're not. You're not you're not putting on a show. But vulnerability is purposely exposing who you really are. Uh, that is. I think that is a line, the difference between authenticity and vulnerability. I think that's a line that's really tough for any public figure, certainly. But for uh, pastors and church leaders, we, we typically draw the line at authenticity when grace is best uh, celebrated uh, in vulnerability. Wow. Wow. That, that's, that's a huge distinction between authenticity and vulnerability, I believe, because um, I'd have to agree that that one of the things that's you know had always kind of been a hallmark of my ministry, you know, as I felt was that I was being authentic, right? That I was being real. But vulnerability, is, as you said, kind of takes that to a whole nother whole nother level. What what would you say to pastors who are listening to this, and and would would say, you know, Kyle, that's that's awesome. It's a great experience, but you just don't know my church. You just don't know my people. There's no way that I could be that vulnerable in front of them. What encouragement would you have for them? You know, I would say you could sure start by creating a culture where you're you're, you're telling other stories. You know, it, it may be a, a difficult, uh, you know, first step to to. I mean, I by the time I shared that story, I'd been preaching and leading at the same church for more than ten years. So, you know, the, I I knew I was going to be loved. I I knew I was, you know, I knew there'd be some people who didn't like it, but I wasn't worried about you know, being fired. And, uh, and yet I think the way the church responded to that story has a lot to do with in the years leading up to it. Those are the types of things we celebrate that we, we celebrate, uh, vulnerability. We celebrate, um, uh, redeeming the redeeming work of God. We celebrate broken lives that he makes whole. We, we celebrate some messiness, which, which was really hard for us as a church. We, we had, um, kind of an approach for a long time of, you know, we'll have somebody give a testimony that speaks of God's grace and God's redeeming work in their lives. But every testimony that was shared, it wasn't that messy. It was, it was a, maybe a rough story, but by the time they shared it, you know, it felt like happily ever after and the, the bow was tied and it was a nice ending. And what really helped move us forward is when we became more comfortable with telling stories um, where the journey was ongoing and um, you know grace was still needed daily and people could be honest about the fact that hey I you know I want to forgive this person I've made a decision to forgive as an example but I'm not there yet you know, you know when it when it's a little more messy a little more raw it, it sets the tone for a culture that uh, in the church where where they they become a little more used to it. In other words, it's it's not like whiplash when somebody stands up there and and is honest about a failure or fear or, or struggle that they've been having. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So pastors can begin to look at ways that they can um, begin to celebrate those those authentic and vulnerable stories of of how God's been at work in people's lives. And um, as you celebrate those stories, you're building that culture, as you've said, where people are open to those really honest, you know, truthful um, experiences as they're shared, but then also have the opportunity to celebrate God's grace and God's goodness in the midst of, of those stories as they're unfolding. Yeah, because like the the idea that this is contagious is a, is a really significant one for us to understand as church leaders. And, and one that an, an image that probably most every pastor can uh, relate to is if, if you are in a room with people who are new to the church, let's say, or even in a small group that's been meeting for a long time, you know, in that room, if one person will step over the line into vulnerability, the rest of the room becomes much more likely to do the same. So if I'm meeting with a group of new church members or, or attenders, and, and the first person starts off with kind of this uh, a story that is very honest and uh, more vulnerable, I, I, it sets the tone for the rest of the room. It's contagious. The next person does it, and the next person does it. But if the first couple people don't do that, you know, they've been well-schooled in what to say and not to say in those <laughs> environments, and they play it safe, that tends to be what the rest of the room does as well. Um, and, and so, you know, it takes, I think, for for us as church leaders, in, intentionally saying, hey, this is going to be a little awkward at first, but it's going to, it's contagious. It will catch on. And, and, and this is an environment where grace can be experienced. It has to be experienced in a place where it's safe for people to be vulnerable, where it can meet people in their shame and guilt and fear. And, and the only way for that to happen is if if our communities can have that kind of culture. That leads me to why do you think it's challenging many times for people to receive grace? You know, they, they've done something, and so they have maybe some guilt or they have some discouragement or disappointments because of decisions they've made and they wrestle with actually receiving grace. Why, why do you think that's such a challenge? Yeah, I love that question because yesterday uh, I was speaking at a state penitentiary up the road from my house. I get there from time to time and, and talk to uh, you know a, a group of inmates, and they they've taught me a lot about this because um, you know when I'm talking to them about grace, you would think you know, and it's it is true for some of them. You would think it would be so hard for them to receive it um, because they're just very aware of the consequences that um, their decisions have created, not only in their lives, but in the lives of their families. And yet what I've found in those environments is, is that there is something very freeing that happened for them when they were essentially declared guilty. You, you know, they, they were no longer um, having to pretend. They were no longer having to keep up an act, you know, what everyone, what they were trying to keep everyone from thinking of them, you know, they had to let go of that. There, there was no, there, there was nothing left to, to prop them up. They walk in, they're all in the same uniform. They're not trying to, to, uh, look impressive. They don't have the opportunity to look impressive. And so it's a, it's a place where God's grace ends up shining really bright. And, and, and so I, I guess for me, the lesson that is that to receive grace, we have to get to that place. You know, we have to get to a place where um, we recognize our guilt, our failures, our, 
our uh, the consequences of our, our of our sin, what has you know our where our decisions have led, things like that. We we have to be honest enough about it, and and it, it's easier for them to do that because of the environment they're in and the sentence they received, and the du- judge said guilty, right? But uh, for a lot of us, it's it you know it takes more work because you know we we have to we have to take that hard journey ourselves of, of being honest. But that's the first step to receiving grace. Here's the, the challenge, and that is, you know, you, you want, once you're really honest about a lot of those things, you can feel like, well, I, I don't deserve it. I mean, look at my life, look at the decisions I've made, look at, you know, the situation I'm in. And, and to me, that's where the biblical examples and the even in the Gospels, the narratives, as you see the people who experience grace from Jesus— you you begin to understand. Okay, that's that's me too. I, I God's grace is there for me as well. So it, it takes being honest with yourself about your need for it, but then uh, recognizing that God's grace is great enough to meet you meet you there. Wow, that's so good, brother. You know, definitely our need to be honest with ourselves and honest with God, but then understanding that God's grace is greater really than anything we've done or anything we have failed to do. Love that. Now. Many times in ministry, we can really be hard on ourselves, right? You know, things do not necessarily go as we would like or as we hope. So how can pastors and church leaders best deal with feelings of disappointment and inadequacy, especially when maybe they have failed at something? Yeah, you know, when Paul talks about the sufficiency of God's uh, grace to the Corinthian church, he's not focusing as much on the sufficiency of God's grace to cover you know, his sins. Um, certainly that is something he talks about, but when he, when he's talking about the sufficiency of God's grace that where God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. It's with disappointment, right? That, that Paul, um, has been praying for this thorn in the flesh to be removed. It hasn't been removed. And God said, no, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. And so here's what we find is that his discovery of God's grace did not come through God's uh, blessing in the way that Paul would have wanted or Paul would have been looking for. It came unexpectedly. It came through disappointment. It came through discouragement. It, it, it came when, um, when God didn't respond the way that Paul wanted him to. That's where he discovered the sufficiency of grace. Uh, and, and I guess I would just say as a, as a pastor and as a preacher— over the last 20 years, that's been true for me. I, you know, I look back on different seasons uh, in ministry where you know I learned the most about God's grace was not necessarily when everything was just flowing. It, it was when things were difficult. And so I, I think about uh, planting a new church in um, in California and just the, the a lot of the pressure that I felt, a lot of the inadequacy that I felt. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and, and yet it forced me to be dependent on God's provision. It, it, it forced me to to uh, believe that God's grace was going to be sufficient. And um, and it taught me a lot about a lot about grace. Uh, you know, when I was weak enough, I finally could recognize his strength in my life. Now, that had always been true, but it required weakness, uh, fear uh, for me to learn that. And, um, and I, I, you know, I could point to a number of examples along those same lines where the emptier I was, the more space 
there was for God's grace to come in and fill it. One of the images I, I, I talk about in, in the book that certainly has application to those of us in, in church leadership um, is that, you know, God will fill with his grace, you know, whatever size uh, of, of empty container we bring to him is kind of the image. That's the, when, when Paul talks about God's, when God says to Paul, you know, my grace is sufficient, that's what it means. It's this idea that it's, it's always just enough, that there's always enough. So that if I come to God and in my, you know, I've got a, you know, a, a, a coffee mug that's empty, he'll fill that with, with his grace. But if I come to him and I'm backing up a semi truck and the semi truck is empty, that's what he'll fill with his grace. And so in some ways, the, the more, uh, discouraged I may be, the more disillusioned I, uh, you know, I may feel, the more significant the opportunity I have to experience um, God's grace in my life and to realize His His power. And um, it, but as Paul says, it, it's found in that place of weakness. Uh, so going forward, you know, where that makes all the difference is I, I have faith that that's true. When when things are are difficult or especially challenging. I, I, I know this is true that I can. I come to God in that place, and it's empty. Uh, that His grace is going to be there to fill it up. Yeah, that's good. And so that gives you a way to look forward, uh, knowing that whenever you inevitably were going to run up against some challenges, as we all do in ministry, that um, if God's grace was sufficient during that difficult time in your past. God's grace is going to always be sufficient. It's always going to be there ready to welcome us and, and help mold us into Christ-likeness. Yeah, and you know, for for those who are in ministry, boy, it, it is a, a really uh, discouraging job if you don't understand what you just explained. You, you, that If you don't have that kind of confidence in um, in God's faithfulness and in his sovereignty and in his redeeming work, uh, you know, it's not going to take very long to get worn out and burnt out. But it is a lot of fun when you have that confidence that, you know, that in his grace, God is working things together for good. I don't know how that's going to happen in this situation, but I know that's going to happen, that what he's going to do in me and through me uh, is 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 going to be good. And and so that that confidence begins to go up, you know, for a lot of us, you know, I go to Christian leadership type conferences and oftentimes the tone will will be much different than what you hear Paul, uh, the tone he takes. Or if you read through the missionary journeys, it's much different. You know, we get a bunch of ministry leaders together around the table, and you would think that that God's grace is demonstrated best through, you know, life is is good and the numbers are up and we don't have budget challenges and the every you know everything is going just the way that we we want it to. But but in reality. God's grace comes to us when when we're weak, that the greatest demonstration of God's grace is not just his provision, it's his presence. And um, and we discover those things um, more clearly. It goes back to the, the woman in Luke 7. We understand those things more personally and deeply uh, when we recognize or in a position where our need is desperate. Yeah, that's, that's good. I, I love that. That's not just shows up in his provision, but but really in his presence. And I think of, you know, the faithfulness of God and as, you know, there are pastors all over the country, all over the world who are, you know, have been faithfully serving a church in the midst of, of whatever might be coming, you know, in whatever the challenges are. And just that reminder that God is faithful and that as we are faithful, 
Um, it, it's not always going to to turn out the way that maybe we we hoped or maybe even we expected or whatever that might be. But at the same time, God is faithful in the midst of that because God's presence is true and, and is real and is continuing to to help us, you know, with strength as we continue on um, faithfully pastoring. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Um, now let's let's take a little bit of a shift. We've been talking a lot about um, kind of receiving grace and in how we experience grace, but let's talk a bit about extending grace to others. Now, as ministry leaders, we sometimes find ourselves in situations where you know not everyone in the church is particularly thrilled, maybe with some of the decisions that we've made. Um, some pastors are dealing probably with some power struggles within their churches. Uh, might be dealing with people who, although they have been in church for a long time and they should maybe, you know, we feel like maybe they should know better, um, they st- still aren't acting very Christ-like. And so there are these challenging individuals oftentimes uh, we come across in different seasons of our ministry. What have you learned over the years about extending grace to people that God's entrusted to you when it doesn't always feel that good right yeah 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 no it's uh yeah this is a big one for me i i I think you know if you would have asked me this years ago i I would have said hey the you know the jesus approach to the pharisees in matthew 23 you know woe to you 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 know (laughs) snakes and blind guy that that should be our approach you know that i i uh, i think you know that there is a time for where we are we are protective of the gospel of grace and that's going to mean uh, dealing very directly with with legalism and dealing very directly with pharisaical and self righteous spirits, right? But uh, I, I think what I've discovered as a pastor over the years is the old uh, saying, you know, and how true it is that that hurt people hurt people. That the the reason why people are, you know, responding oftentimes, uh, you know, unjustly or harshly is because they're it's coming from a place of, of brokenness in, in their own lives and 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 so most pastors I think who've been at this for a while have have found this to be true that you know you get you sit and you listen to enough stories and it becomes clear that the person is just hurting and you're a target and uh, and I think that's so true oftentimes in the church as we're working with other leaders or even staff or or volunteers is um, taking the time to really try to hear their story and understand, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. And you know, Jesus, of course, all, he knew he knew these things. He knew these things going into it, which is a huge, you know, which is, makes a big difference. You can have a lot of compassion when you can recognize the journey that somebody has been on. Uh, but here's for me, this is where I learned it. So a number of years ago, now I guess it's been about twelve years ago, I, I preached a sermon that I got. I don't know, there uh, two or three pretty harsh criticisms about and people um, giving me a hard time. And instead of, because there was a number of them, instead of taking the time to reply to each one through email or, or you know, writing it out, I thought, I just, I'm just going to call these people. And I stumbled onto something, uh, and that is when I called them and talked to them on the phone, uh, their hurt became much more clear to me. You know, so what they posted online or, you know, a critique that they put up or, you know, as I took time to listen to their story and I understood a little bit more about maybe their church background, um, you know, as I got some context to it or what was happening in their lives at that time, yeah, I just started to find that again and again and again, there's more to it than I might have guessed. And it makes it, 
you know, much easier to be gracious with people um, when, when you have an opportunity to hear a little bit of their journey. So that's helped me a lot um, in, in this. And then the other piece of it is, you know, just recognize, look, if I'm having a hard time being gracious to people and, and there are seasons, right? There are seasons where I am easily irritated by, you, you know, and then the, the idea of, Hey, I would love this job if it wasn't for all the people, you know, I, that crosses my mind. But when I'm, that says more about where I am at spiritually. I, it, it's, it's revealing that I am not spending enough time being filled up with God's grace in my own heart and life. Because if I was walking in that and I was being filled up with it and I, I had an awareness of the, his, the extent and depth of his grace to me, I'd have it to give. You know, there, there would be a reservoir to draw from. Uh, and so when I find myself kind of getting short with people and being irritated around the, the office or, you know, annoyed by, um, you know, uh, a conversation, yeah, to me, that is a it, it says a lot more about me than than whoever the person is I'm talking to. And it, it, it demonstrates to me that I I need to be more intentional at getting filled up uh, with God's grace to me so that it can flow through me. Wow, that's really solid. That's really good. If you were to just offer one nugget of advice when it comes to ministry leaders and experiencing grace in their lives, and it might be something you've already touched on, but but if you're just to to leave our audience with just one one thing that they can either start with or or, or that you would really encourage them to embrace that you've seen has had a big impact on your life, your ministry as as a pastor, um, what would that be? You know, I guess I would say I'd go back to what I touched on at the beginning with with vulnerability. That uh, the Bible is full of examples of this. You know, whether it's it's Matthew telling his own story of being a tax collector, uh, he's the one who records that for us. But that that's how he begins it, and because of that, you, you know, he is able to be a trophy of God's grace. You know, and, and really throughout the Bible, not just the New Testament and the Gospels, but you, you know. There's so much stuff that's included that you wouldn't think would be included um, that reveals the the failures and the fears and the shortcomings of of people that God used in significant ways. But but all of those things then point to you know our need for God's grace and point to the why we should celebrate God's grace. And so I you know I would love to challenge uh, church leaders and pastors, preachers, just to take us some steps towards vulnerability in your life. And it doesn't need to be, you don't need to start off maybe doing it in front of a crowd of people, but, you know, start off by talking to, a, you know, a, a couple other guys about it, um, you know, some other church leaders. But, you know, when we do that, it gives us such an opportunity to personally experience what we are desperately trying to get other people to know for themselves. Uh, but I, I am just convinced that it requires a level of vulnerability that that most of us uh, are not willing to go to, and as a result, um, are not experiencing the depth of God's grace in the way that He would invite us to. Oh, thank you for that, brother. That's so good. I really appreciate you taking your time to to be with us here on the podcast and to speak into the lives of of pastors, ministry leaders all over the place. If someone wants to get in touch with you or, or connect with you or, or learn more about um, Grace is Greater, um, how can they do that? Uh, you know, probably the easiest thing to do would be uh, just to go to uh, kyleidelman.com. I think there's, you know, some sermons up there. There's some testimonies, uh, some stories people share about God's grace in their lives that I think would be encouraging and uh, some other resources that would be uh, a good place to check out. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kyle. Certainly appreciate it. And I appreciate you, um, just your authenticity and your vulnerability, not only in, in this uh, podcast, but also as you've shared in your book and as as become a part of your your ministry and how you continue to speak into people's lives. We certainly appreciate you and all that you're doing for the kingdom. Thanks, Jason. Great to be with you, man. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Every week, as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they can benefit uh, from these interviews as well. And again, we thank you in advance. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.